You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Oh yeah, it's time for another podcast episode, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you for being here first off. A couple housekeeping things before we get into this week's episode. If you haven't done so yet, please head on over to Instagram and follow us on, um, it's called My Life Outdoors. That's M-I Life Outdoors, all one word. To follow us on Instagram, just to show what we're doing. We, you know, we post stories there, fish we're catching, what we're doing in preparation for hunting season, things like that. It's a great way to uh, see when new podcast episodes launch, etc. And it's also a phenomenal way to communicate with us so that way you, the listener, can get involved, ask questions, things like that about topics that you want us to cover, etc. Um, also, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Podcast, Google Play, whatever it is. We're on all those podcast ep- or platforms. Another thing, if you think we're doing a good job and we're providing some great value to you, you're learning some things, you could help us out by heading on over to iTunes and giving us a five-star review. Um, that would really help us in the rankings to get the word out about the podcast. It's free. It only takes 30 seconds and, uh, you'd be helping us out big time. So without any further ado, we're going to get into this podcast episode, which is trail cameras. It's that time of year to be getting them out. So we head on over and talk about everything that we do to get ready when it comes to setting trail cameras. So here we go. All right. Well, first off, cheers. Right. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for, having us, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for coming over. It's beautiful. We got. Uh, I got the best view. <laughs> you keep an eye back there if there's any deer. We'll get an alert on my phone because the camera's back there. So. Perfect. Uh, which brings us why we're here today. Uh, back for another episode to talk trail cameras. It's that time of year where I think you might want to start thinking about if you haven't put them out already, you should probably get them out here. I don't know, and in the next two weeks or so. Um, I know the deer that I've been getting on camera back here there are you can kind of start to watch their velvet grow it's already coming in um you can start to get you know we'll get into the weeds but it's kind of fun to uh to talk about these kind of things because i feel like um trail cameras is something that uh, a lot of people may be hesitant to buy because there's a lot of them on the market and when they go to see them in the store the price tags might deter them away 
But I think with the information that we have today, um, the share, what we use, why we use them, um, and we'll go over our pricing and all that kind of stuff. It's more affordable than you think. So, um, KP, I'm excited to be here, man. Growing season. This yeah, is, uh, this is some, it, right? Some farmers like to watch their crops grow, man. I like to watch them antlers grow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good analogy to put it. And yeah. then, uh, Tom just got back from, what would you call it? A suicide trip, right? Yeah. Just a, a mad dash. We, uh, drove to Southern Ohio, about a four hour drive and drove all night and slept for two hours, hung cameras and drove back and made it to the kids softball and, and t-ball games. And quite a few cameras, right? Yeah. Uh, I think we ended up putting up 12 with, uh, cell links, 10 with cell links and, and two extra cameras. And we, uh, trimmed some tree stands and did as much work as we possibly could do in six hours. When you tell your wife, you're just driving away for like 12 hours or something like that. I mean, how's the conversation go? Like, Hey, I'm just going to hang cameras and I'll be right back. I, I have an amazing wife. She's, she's just <laughs> used to it. She's like, are you guys going to sleep? I'm like, no, probably not. She's like, all right, see you tomorrow. She just, uh, she just knows. She told me to be back for the softball game and I made it back with about 35 minutes of spare. I took a shower Ooh, and we made it to the game. Just made it. <laughs> all right. So trail cameras, um, we're going to talk about first off. I think we've kind of got it broken down into a couple good points to go over, starting with the first one. Um, if you haven't done so already, why do we all use them? Um, you know, my cameras right now are on my private land that, you know, that, that I hunt, I, I don't have any out on public right now, but you know, for me, it's this, this property to me is new. So it's great to see what is coming in and out of here. Um, this time of year, like you said, you like to watch them grow. So, you know, right now I can think of four bucks that I have on camera that are consistently coming in and out of the property. So for me, it's kind of a new experience to see what is in this area um, of deer that maybe I'm not used to seeing or um, movement patterns around this area that kind of got me excited. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see what it produces for me this year. But uh, so KP, why would, what's the biggest thing that stands out to you of why you need to implement this into your program? Um, so this time of year, I would say it's inventory. So obviously they're growing. We don't know exactly what they're going to be yet, but you have an idea. So the biggest thing that we use trail cameras for, especially pre-season, up until that first day of season, is going to be what deer are there. So you know how to make an educated decision on what deer to shoot. Yeah. So if, if there's not a 200-inch deer there, there's not much sense in waiting to shoot a 200-inch deer because it's not going to happen. In the same sense, you don't want to shoot the first 100-inch deer if you have 150s walking around. So I think that's one of the biggest advantages of cameras is what deer are actually there and what are you trying to harvest, whether that be age, whether that be score-wise, if it's a mature doe, any of those things. These cameras are invaluable amount of information, and they're hunting for you 24-7. So I just I love them. And uh Make sure you set them right if they're far away because we've set them before. We've had hundreds of pictures That's a day right. and make sure you got, we have some tips for you on how to set them accurately and, and that sort of thing. And it makes it like personal for you. So like if you're, if you're okay with shooting, you know, a hundred class deer, that's perfectly normal. I mean, you, maybe you're not used to seeing, you know, a 120 or whatever it is, and that might be really big to you. So, you know, again, the other thing too, I think with putting your cameras out there is educating you on what's the difference between a three-year-old versus a two-year-old versus a five-year-old because a lot of times when they're coming in during hunting season you might just be looking at the rack but you're not looking at the body or 
vice versa. Like you, I mean, a lot of times you're trying to age on the hoof, a lot of new hunters listening to this, that might be very difficult to do. So if you've had an eye on that deer, let's say the four months leading up to that hunt, you're going to have a better idea of what kind of deer on your property and what age you can get used to aging them too. And there's another key point there. How does weather affect deer in real time? And a lot of people take that fact for granted. They, oh, cool. I got a picture today. And well, tomorrow I get 40 pictures. Well, what changed from yesterday to today? So we looked that up in real time. We'll make notes and, hey, we had a 20 degree temperature change, whether it goes up or down or, hey, there was a huge front or there was this or that. And that affects our hunting decisions in the future of how the weather (laughs) is affecting those deer. I didn't even think of it like that. That's a good tip for weather. I didn't even pay attention to that. We have notes. We write all the time when we see one of our key shooter bucks, what was the weather like? What was the wind like? What was it yesterday? And what's it going to be tomorrow? That tells us what the trends are doing so that when that certain sets of criteria happens again, we're prepared for that. And we're like, these deer are going to move. I can tell you right off the bat, we all kind of know this, but snow, if we get big weather fronts, but for us, especially snow, every time there's snow on the ground, when it's just falling, we get tremendous amount of pictures and deer movement. I think location's huge. We hunt in Southern Ohio, so they don't get a ton of snow. So when they do get snow, it's, it's a big deal. Like the deer move, they feed, like everything's moving. I think we use them down there just to maximize our chances like anything else. Like it's a four hour drive. Like if yeah, we're going all the way down there, we want to know where we're going, what we're doing. And we have a pretty unique situation. We, we lease uh, two really small farms, like for 30, 40 acres. And then um, we became friends with the locals and we got some other properties that we're allowed to hunt. So we have a pretty good amount of property that we can hunt, but it's broke up into four and five different locations. So we use those cameras to, you know, Hey, I'm going to hunt this farm because there's four big deer over there and this one's pretty regular and it's coming in more and uh, just narrow down a location. And the same goes if you have state land, you know, we we're fortunate enough in Michigan. We have a ton of state land and if you can afford it, you can get out there and hopefully some of our advice today will help, you know, some of the listeners is set a bunch of them and that'll tell you which stand location right. to hunt, even if that is public land and, uh, it's invaluable information especially this time of year when there's not a lot of people going onto the state ground to um i mean it's thick right so if you get back to an area that you know of from years past or and you're like man i've always wanted to know what it was like to hunt back there most likely someone's not going to be walking through the poison ivy the thick humid the the black flies up north and uh you know the mosquitoes to get back there so if you can brave the elements whatever your protective gear get back there set it up Going into that state property, you're going to have an advantage over to someone else who is a last minute hunter or hasn't prepared as much as you have because you'll you'll start to understand. I mean, I know deer patterns change as the weather as it gets colder, but you know you at least know the inventory, like you said, what's on that state property. Sure, you could say, "All right, there's black bears all the way back there. I'm not seeing any deer <laughs> or whatever." So it's more predator. So maybe move your camera. Are you hunting in a different area? That's uh, that's maybe you know not as deep in or something like that so i think uh that's a great tip it's crazy how patternable the deer are um i've been after one deer in particular that i'm kind of obsessed with and kelly's got one that he's kind of obsessed with and every year they do the same thing like i get pictures in august and and all the way you know july august in the first week of september and then he disappears i'm not really sure where he goes haven't figured it out yet but um it's happened three years in a row now and it's it's they do the same thing every year. So, I mean, if you can hang a camera and I don't get the hunt, you know, this November because you're, you're having a baby or situation yeah. or whatever, like 
use use that information from this November for next November because we tend to see the same bucks show up within the same four or five days at the same time every year. Like it's nuts. They they do the same thing. What's your opinion on this? I know like obviously the rut is prime time when everyone they take their rutcations all that kind of stuff they're in the woods you know as much as they can i once met a dude who shot a lot of big bucks and his advice to me was the very first day of archery season that very first week yep. if you're out mm-hmm. there that could be the only time that your big boy that you have on camera is going to be around because when the yep. rut comes he could be going five miles that way sure. or something like that so his favorite time um, not saying it's overlooked. I know guys are excited to get in the woods, but he's like, if you're really, truly trying to hunt your big boy, try to get him in that first week. I've heard that yeah. many times. I think if you're going after one specific deer, that's probably the most patternable he'll be right. that, that, you know, opening week, day, right. whatever. Cause this is the last week of September. It's just normal business to him. Nothing's yeah, really going nothing's on. changed yet. Right. So, all right. So let's talk about physical placement and technicalities of when you actually physically put the camera on the whether that be a tree, guys use stakes, homemade um, contraptions, things like that. Um, this can really um, contribute to the success of the photos that you get, or it could really screw it up. You know, if, if you're driving four hours sure. up north or down south or something like that, you really want to make sure that it's pointed in the right direction. It's set. It's not going to blow down in the wind. So whatever it is. Um, for me, my only experience is with trees. But one thing that I always do is like like shims. So like you shim like the angle. There's there's high it's very hard to find a perfectly straight tree in the spot that you want, especially as it grows up from the bottom up. There's gonna there might be a slight slant, but it's like, wow, I have to have a camera on this side. How am I gonna make that work? And so for me, just a tip, I'm sure a lot of people know this is like I'll bring shims out with me, like like door shims or something like that. And I'll put it underneath the camera or above the camera to get the angle that I want. Mm-hmm. So it's very important that, you know, bring extra tools with you, bring extra zip ties, bring extra rope, all the straps that come with the camera. If it comes with two, bring two. Don't think you could just get away with one because when you're out there, you're going to be like, dang, I need one, another one. But And sticks. Don't forget sticks. We wedge sticks in there. Sticks, too. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, if, exactly. you, if you don't have shims, yeah. just, right. just use your common sense there to kind of make that work electrical tape electrical tape all the time like the latches break the I, battery i might have broke a door on this camera the other day i did yeah <laughs> i got one of yours in my truck it's junk uh the door <laughs> i'm glad i'm just finding out <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, by the way uh so we use uh cell links um i'm sure we'll get into that but uh they plug in the door where the sd card goes and the door was open a little bit and it rained and i tipped the camera over and it was just full of water oh, wow. it filled all the way up so i um i put the door down and i electrical tape around the cameras and make sure that uh the doors stay closed and they stay watertight because we're not going to be back down there until october november you know right so um as far as tip goes for me I think oftentimes people put cameras too high on the tree. And the nice thing about cell cameras or cell links, whatever brand you have, is we get pictures instantly, right? right. So 
we actively test those locations before I leave. If I'm not going to be there for three months, I want to make sure that I walk by, you know, at five feet, 10 feet, yeah. 20 feet. And that way I'm instantly going to be able to check that. If you guys aren't using cell links and you're just using regular cameras, it might be worth your two minutes of time to take the SD card out, put it in a card reader and verify that your camera is facing the right way and getting the right angle and the right height and those sort of things. So one, don't hang it too high. Nobody ever hangs it too low. It's always too high. And be careful with east and west facing locations. Oh, that's so, a good tip. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're sunrise in the east, that's in the west. Make sure you don't want that camera to be triggered depending on your sensitivity and, you know, fill up an SD card with just the, the sun and the shade from the from the sun there. So, yeah. And you know. if it's first thing, if it's in an open area, when it comes up in the morning when the deer are most active and the deer is between you and the sun, yeah. all you're going to get is a black silhouette. And you're like, shit, what is that deer? <laughs> and I mean, and then you could tell it has antlers, but you can't pick out how many it is or something like that. And then you're kicking yourself in the butt because every morning those deer walk by and that sun's up, you're in trouble. Yep. North or yeah. south uh, facing is, is our recommendation. And don't forget when you're hanging these cameras, you want to make sure that you have at least a nice five, six foot window around that camera that there's no branches hanging down. Because when it gets windy, you'll get hundreds of pictures of, even if that branch isn't in your way when it's nice and calm, but when that wind blows, you'll get tons and tons of pictures. Or a wet snow or, yep. or, or a wet rain. Or, or it's growing season, right? Growing if it season, grows yeah. another foot before before you get back to yeah. it, you'll get your, your car to be full. We use uh, hedge trimmers. Kelly was nice enough to buy a really expensive battery-powered pair of hedge trimmers. They're awesome. Yeah, I took down all kinds of trees with it, everything. I use it as a chainsaw. Yeah. I just let that thing That's eat. Awesome. Was it lithium-ion or something? Yep. Yeah. Oh, man, this. it still hasn't ran out of batteries. Damn. I did everything down in Ohio. got home, did all my bushes at my house, and then I brought it to my truck right <laughs> Can now. I get that back? <laughs> yeah, you can get it back. <laughs> but uh, we mowed down some, like, 40-yard circles around the camera, you know, cut all them weeds down and everything, because yeah. we're not going to be back, so... You don't want to waste your time. Um, so the head trimmers work great for not only uh, placing your cameras, clearing out an opening, because that four-foot grass will just kill everything, obviously, as far as your shot goes. Um, but also, if you want to make excess points in and out of your tree stands or you want to clear tree stands, those hedge trimmers are awesome. It's uh, Ryobi is what the brand is. Oh, yeah. And they're uh, hedge trimmers. It's been like neon green color, everything. They're yes. amazing. And they yeah. have a six-amp-hour lithium battery, which okay. is huge and my god they'll run for like two days straight they're just invincible i got a good like four hours on them and then they're still going they're nuts that's a good tip that we're telling you right now yeah. things to bring with you when you go out like to you used put to bring the loppers right yeah. or the yeah, hand yeah. saws like no guys i'm telling you do you I'm know what i freaking hate are the ones with the long rope on it yeah <laughs> that never work when you get it all the way yeah. up there and like you're trapped yeah your traps and your shoulders are killing you by the time you're done you're just like get me out of here yeah <laughs> make it easy a, on yourself a tip to maximize your your time you know um Okay. Any tips that you got, TB? Uh, the usual, you know, look for the pinch points. You know, if you know a bedding area and you know where they're feeding, you just got to get in between them. Um, where we hunt down in Ohio, I keep bringing up Ohio. We hunt up north in Indiana and Ohio everywhere, but um, I just set up Ohio. So um, quite a few trails uh, intersect. So pretty much everywhere we put a camera up, there's at least two or three trails coming to a, a point. You know, they're crossing an intersection. Okay. Um, just trying to maximize if anything's coming from any direction. Um, terrain plays a really big feature down there because everything's up and down. There's nothing flat. And um, those deer don't always want to run straight up those hills. So um, we use them as funnels and pinch points. And or all them trails come to a head. Um, usually try to put a camera on there. Yeah. Let's get into that. The, 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 the placement 
on, okay, so let's give me a scenario. Let's say someone's going into, we'll give two different scenarios. We'll start with the one that you guys have. Can you describe the property that you guys hunt? Is there farm fields around you? Is it just hilly, you know, woods? Is it open fields? Is it hay fields? Is it corn? Kind of talk about like what's around there and then like how you identified those spots of, you know what I mean? Like, sure. Uh, most of our property is is woods. Um, most of it. Um, one of the farms has uh, quite a bit of hay fields, but it's not like uh, square chunks of woods. There's a lot of fingers and little points that stick out, and um, we kind of hunt a surrounding uh, cornfield. We don't have permission to hunt the cornfield, but we kind of hunt the property around it. Okay. So we know that uh, most of our deer are coming in and out of that field to feed, and um, we get a lot of those pinch points and those funnels. So we use Onyx quite a bit. We'll get on Onyx and pretty much try to scout from a computer map or phone but and, compared um, to here it's got very very little agricultural not a like, lot we're in yeah. michigan everywhere you drive down any road you're going to see egg fields there you have five percent of the egg fields that we have here it's extremely hilly and there's lots of um like switchgrass fields or like bedding uh, areas so they'll have 10 20 30 acre just thick overgrown because it's so hilly that it's not a lot of uh what am I trying to say here? It's not um, developed. Right. Because of the terrain, it doesn't have a lot of homes. It doesn't have a lot of business locations just because of its terrain. It's, it's pretty hilly. It's just not farmer friendly. So Everything's steep. To add to what Tom was saying, I think that there, the couple of things we would use, and really in any property, is pinch points in any woods. So if deer don't have to leave cover and can go from woods, one woods to another woods, and that we can find a natural pinch point we're always going to focus on that pinch point that can be identified by any aerial view map that we have in in any property secondly that we use there is the ravines which we don't have a lot of around here in michigan but these ravines are super steep and these deer do not want to cross them so every time a ravine starts or stops on either end i'm going to put a camera because the deer do not want to go down a 40 foot ravine and back up the top they're going to go to the top side or the bottom side so so they're either going to go to the top of the ridge or they're going to follow it down and yep. then cross mm-hmm. at the bottom to exactly. get back up on the other side so rather. not only will you get them deer on top or bottom going parallel meaning up and down along that ravine but you're also going to get them moving left you know yeah. t- across the ravine at the top or bottom yeah. so anytime i can win twice is how I like to say I, I I get them going both ways it's a double victory for me then then that's just winning I, I when I was up in Traverse I hunted a lot of state ground up there and I can kind of and I've also hunted southern Ohio maybe somewhere around the area that you guys are at where it's just steep hills one after the other northwest Michigan and and then southeast Ohio are kind of similar with hunting it on the, um, the state property where we've got, I mean, it was around the dunes up there. So there's a lot of steep country and things like that. And I did the same thing you did. If you can find the high points and the ridges and things like that, um, usually there's like, it's think of it like sidestepping the hill. You'll go down a little bit or they won't be maybe at the top of the ridge where it's wide open. But if there's like a flat area down a little bit or like old logging roads or something like that, that they used to travel on or old ORV ones that have grown up, that was, that was, you know, that was a good spot to see like deer activity, running highway, things like that. And, uh, when I used to hunt up there, I'd always set my stand off of that because a lot of the times the bucks would use that as their scraping trail as well. So those paths, if you think, like you were saying, the deer don't want to, 
you know, expel more energy. They're than lazy. They, yeah, right? than they're, they have they're just to. like mm-hmm. us. They're right. lazy. <laughs> I mean, they're trying to survive. So they're like, oh, I don't want to go eat. I mean, they, they're already trying to survive, but they're, they're not going to burn any more energy than they have to. So I think some, a lot of guys and gals don't overthink it when you're out there. Um, you know, try to look to see, like take a breath and see what's an easy path for those deer to get back and forth to where they want to go and think, just think like, what would you do in this situation? Absolutely. And this time of year, I think them deer are traveling a lot less than they will later in the year. So you may want to focus if you think you know where that deer's bedding or you know where his food source is, chances are his circle of movement is going to be fairly small. Whereas later in the year, you may want to focus more on them natural funnels and pinpoints we just talked about, Mm -hmm. the ravines. If you have water somewhere in your property, rivers, ponds, those are phenomenal because again, they're not going to want to cross in the deep spot of the creek. They're going to want to cross wherever that gets shallow. Like use the terrain as natural pinch points to funnel those deer where you want them to be. And when they're moving 10 miles a day, that's where you're going to want to focus is where they naturally get forced into when, when deer are very active. All right. So here's the next scenario for someone in, let's say Michigan, where there's a lot of agriculture, um, down here where we live now in Southeast Michigan, there's really no like big chunks of woods. Usually they're like maybe 10 acres and they're all in squares because everything around it has another ag field or something like that. How do you guys view setting up cameras there? And if you don't have much experience with it, I can just kind of talk about like what I do. I think just air view maps, man, we can, we can look at any property we've never stepped foot on and usually that woods will make a 90 degree turn. It'll make, it'll be wider in one section and narrow in another section. Use air view maps to your advantage to just common sense by looking at a picture. They're going to say, well, it looks like deer would move right there and put your finger on it. Right. And that's where we would start at least to look for deer sign. If you look out, we're at my house right now, but if you look out back, one thing that separates like a natural way that a lot of farmers back in the day divvied up their properties are brush rows. Yeah. So if you see like out here to the east, there's a brush row that runs north and south. I can tell you that the deer that cross the road will go down and find that brush row in order mm-hmm. to get to the back of the woods that they want to get to. Yep. They're going to follow that little skinny path. It might only be, you know, a row of two trees or maybe it's like. Um, your neighbor put up pine trees back in the day and now they're 15 foot tall, but it goes all the way back to the back of a field. Those are really good spots to put cameras um, for travel corridors for deer, especially when, because they're using that as navigation to get back to their safe spot, to get to the creek on the other side of the road or something like that. They're not, uh, it's pretty rare that they just walk through the middle of a bean field or a cornfield and, and, and they'll just, they'll pop up. So use those little skinny brush rows that you might not think much is going on there. Cause I think there's more going on there than you realize. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Usually the inside corners of the woods, you know, that would you outside fingers and the fence rows and them inside quarters usually have some kind of deer sign. Usually we scout around here at Lake Kelsa, get on a map and I pick out the three or four good spots I want to go and, and just got to put some boots on the ground. It also, when you look at the agriculture, see what wheat fields are still up. See who has hay that hasn't been cut yet. A lot of times the deer are using that as bedding to lay down in because yeah. it's a lot taller than everything else. Or if there's like, maybe there's a field that was too wet and the farmer couldn't get in. So it's just all weeds or something like that. Like find that kind of stuff on the property or neighboring properties too of like, that would be a good bedding area. And around here, you guys know, the deer don't need a lot to bed. It could be a little patch 
I don't know, 20 by 20 section where they'll just go in and lay down. And I mean, and have you seen them lay in uh, bean fields before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it blows my mind. That bean field will be one foot off the ground. You'll be watching deer with binoculars. Wow, this is so cool. And hey, where'd that deer just go? And it disappeared. And then the other one disappeared. Now disappeared. They'll bed down in one foot beans and you will not be able to see them. And it's it just, it's crazy to me. They're just comfortable. They got food. They don't need nothing else. I've got one more thing that I've noticed back here. So, to the west, it's the, still the farmer's field, but that what runs right through the middle of it is a drainage ditch. Mm-hmm. There's no trees whatsoever. The biggest deer that I've seen back here knew exactly where that drainage ditch was. He walked down in the drainage ditch, ditch disappeared for about 10 minutes. He popped up at the south end in the other field where the drainage ditch came out. So he knew that if he got down low, walked that drainage ditch all the way to wherever he was going, it was like he was through there incognito, like no one knew. But I watched him. It was like two weeks before the season opened, him walk directly there like a beeline. It's almost like, hey, that's my highway. And he walked right down in there. So, you know, we were talking earlier about putting cameras on trees and stuff like that. Obviously, you you can use stakes, things like that. So, like, if you have a drainage in big ag fields where it's just wide open in that drainage, see where on that aerial map of where it ends, if it ends to woods or if it gets to somewhere – it might be a good idea to put something down in that drainage just to see what's walking in there because a lot of times those big bucks use that. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes it's overgrown, right? Sometimes right. there's no good trees around, there's bushes, and there's nowhere to put in. So we uh, used to use a cheap alternative. It's a little more expensive now. <laughs> yeah. uh, we used to use just two-by-fours, man. We just take a saw, we just V-cut a two-by-four. <laughs> yeah, those would be stolen if anybody said yeah, that nowadays. Yeah. Now they're 20 bucks. They're worth gold now, but yeah, sledgehammer, and we put them in on certain trails and things, and, and yeah. some of our biggest bucks have been off of those those posts that's crazy big bucks are are a different animal like if you want to picture a big buck you got to go where there's not you know a lot of sign you might get one one or two pictures all month but they're always jumbos and then some cameras we have there's a hundred pictures a week and and it's does and little bucks the big bucks they just do their own thing you know, and that's a really good point too is i'm very guilty of that i used to be like oh we have to find the best deer on and it would just be pure mud and put it on there just like tom said it's all young deer and it's right. does and fawns yeah. and it's small bucks and Big bucks and then you go thing. and like what you want to put it here and there's not you can't even nearly see anything and sure enough you get one picture every week or two but it's a big boy walking through so there's learning that that your cameras let your cameras tell you what deer are using what runs basically mm-hmm. yeah and you know, we're talking about Onyx and aerial maps and stuff like that. That's a great starting point. But the other thing too is like, go out on your property or a state property after a rain and then look for those wide hoof prints where you've got those, you know, it's going to be a heavier deer. They've got those back hocks where they're making that imprint in there. There's your buck right there. So, you know, before you get overwhelmed walking into the woods of where to go, put your head down and kind of look to find those tracks. And like you said, try to cipher through the small ones versus the big ones. And if you see those big ones where they got those widespread on their tufts, yep. it may look stupid when you're there, but <laughs> no, th- yeah. throw up the trail camera right there just to see what you More can More often than not, you find the beat down trail and then like 10 or 20 yards away, either side of it, there'll be another trail. And there's, you know, a third of the tracks on that one. And that um, usually tends to be the bigger buck. It, it doesn't go with all the other deer. And then as rut approaches, you'll notice that them big deer 
will start running perpendicular to all the main runs. So if yep. you have three, four major deer runs, say we'll call it heading north and west, north and south rather, and over a 50 yard period, you'll you'll see the big bucks traveling east and west across those oh, runs. To intersect the scent. So they're yeah. smelling yeah. every run as I they go you. across them. So it's very common for them deer to cut them, to kind of cut those perpendicular as, as we get into that pre-rut in the rut stages. Yeah, you brought up a good point about deer side hilling. Um, basically, you know, halfway or a third of the way up the Always. hills, yeah. um, we tend to get a lot of bucks or sea bucks or even shoot bucks that are coming up those hills. Mm-hmm. They just want to cross all those trails in one shot. And um, we usually get them going up and down the hills rather than side hilling. And if you're in a low pressure area, do not be afraid of the road. And I think a lot of guys, you know, want to, we got to get off. We got to get a mile in, two miles in. And we found that we have some really curvy roads and some big bowls, so it kind of drops off the road sure. really steep. Man, sometimes 20 to 50 yards down the hill, them deer are just side-cutting that along parallel in the road. And every time on every property, we get big deer within 100 yards of the road, and it just blows our mind that they're so close like that. When you guys put your cameras out, do you still put them close to the road? Are you worried about anybody taking them, or are you just kind of just fine? We're with, not. We just chalk it up. And we're going to – and we decide to go more the economy route, so we buy cheaper versions of everything. I'm, I'm a big believer in volume versus – you know, a, a higher end camera. Are there better cameras out there? Absolutely. But would I rather have three or four cameras versus one camera? Absolutely. Right. So it's just more eyes. Exactly. Yeah. More yeah. research. We run a lot of cameras and we've put them on everything telephone poles and gas lines and <laughs> fence posts, everything. They've been on everything. And uh, we've had some stolen. I've had some stolen in Michigan on state land and stuff like that. And um, I've had some stolen in, on private property. But um, not in Ohio, yeah. Not in Ohio, not yet. in Indiana. Yeah, we just chalk it up. It's the the price of doing cost, business. Cost yeah. of doing business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, casualties, right? Yeah, you can shoot a big buck, and it cost yeah. me a camera, and it might be worth it. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into the cameras a little bit. Um. Obviously, everyone's probably seen the traditional ones where you know you put in a sixteen gig or one gig or however many you want gig. I think they take them up to like thirty two gigs. Um. And you can get a photo of your deer or whatever that you want to get, but then you have to physically go out there, grab the SD card. Some of them allow you to review it on there. Um, the screens aren't the best um, and the older versions to review what you got. You can see if there's a deer, if it has antlers, but a lot of guys take the SD card um, and exchange it with another one and put it back. But the big one that we're going to talk about today and a lot of us are switching over to now because it is now affordable are the cell cams, which is essentially for anybody out there who hasn't heard about it. Um, it's basically, um, it, it has a cell phone signal. It goes off of like Verizon, uh, sprint, I think is the other one mm-hmm. that has, um, skin in the game, but for a, a monthly fee, sometimes it's free depending on how many photos you want, but for like four to $8 a month, they'll send you a photo back to an app on your phone. Um, there's a couple good things about that. One convenience, Two, um, you don't have to put your scent in and out and, and disturb the woods, especially as you get closer to deer hunting season. Um, you know, it's very advantageous for you to stay out of bedding areas like we talked about where you're going to mm-hmm. put the cameras or if there's, um, you know, a food plot that you don't want to go back to and go anywhere near until later on. Um, but also, like, it's eyes on your property or the area that you hunt all the time so you can see on public land you can see 
what kind of public foot traffic you have going in out of there. Like, okay, on Saturdays, they're riding horses, you know, on the trails or, um, you know, on Tuesdays, this lady walks her dog for some reason, right where I hunt or, and then you can kind of start to see like, all right, maybe I should move my camera and things like that. So you're getting all that real time data of what's going on in the, the, the woods when you're not there. Um, and I think it's really changed the way that we view property and hunt and what moves on there. I Absolutely. Mean, I mean, uh, the cameras that you guys just put up, they're all cell cameras, right? So they're um, normal trail cameras, the Cuddyback IRs. Um, we have quite a few of those, and they're the cell link adapter. Okay. So it has an SD card um, that plugs into the camera, and then a cord runs up to basically a mobile device. That's what uh, okay. sends you the signal. So you can use any trail camera and that takes an SD card, and uh, this cell link will plug into the SD card slot. Okay. So, so they make much different kinds, right? So they make cameras that are cell links. It's all one unit. You can buy that. Or we already had all the cameras. So we're like, well, we don't want to buy all new cameras just to get the cell link. For half the cost, we can buy just the cell link and use all of our existing cameras. We have 30, 40 of them. So we're like, gotcha. well, that seems like a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. So we take all of our existing cameras, set them up just like we would bought all these well, spy points which there's a lot of mixed reviews out there we've had great uh, reviews and, and success with them but then you just add that cell link right to those cameras how and much is the cell link so i just bought um six of them six more of them this year um they're between 50 and 70 bucks depending on where you buy them um that's not including batteries i highly recommend use the best batteries lithium batteries that you can with a little bit of extra cost you you know you don't want them to die when especially if they're traveling a great deal to get to them use good batteries use good sd cards they take a lot of batteries a lot so we use <laughs> eight eight batteries in our cameras and then eight batteries in the cell link so it's 16 batteries holy shit per setup yeah, we buy four or five hundred batteries at a time when we do it because we just got so we're fortunate enough to have a lot of yeah. properties a lot of cameras a lot of cell links and this is valuable information so we we just, invest in it just a, a little snippet uh we just went down ohio put cameras up we spent uh, 240 dollars in lithium-ion batteries whoa but i mean and it's worth your while last... i drove down there once and it's going to last till deer you know november in the summertime when it's warmer i predict the last three to six months in uh, so we just had we put some up in january this past year after season and they lasted um they started to trickle out as we went into mid to end of may and then into june so they last five six months through the cold season so mm-hmm. I, I should realistically get four to you know three to six months no problem all the way through deer season right now i think it depends on obviously on your camera activity too mm-hmm. we have some cameras that blow up every day four times a day there's tons of deer some you know don't get that many pictures and they last a lot longer a lot of raccoons or squirrels yeah we have some yeah <laughs> um so the ones that i got are the tacticam reveals and like just like you were mentioning some that come with like the all-inclusive so it has the signal in it already where it is all one unit and for me it was super affordable because like you said like it's such a rabbit hole and it's weird how guys argue online of who's mm-hmm. got the best camera <laughs> and like if you go to cabela's or bass pro or something like your big box store when you walk in there it's overwhelming because they've got maybe like eight different brands and then, and then you'll see them priced from like 250 dollars somewhere like 500 dollars, and you're like whoa which one do i get and why mm-hmm. my tactic cam reveals that i got were 100 bucks um now they came out with the Tacticam Reveal X this year, which is I think is $120. And 
it has 4.6 stars online. Um, I took a chance on it. I got it during like a, um, a Thanksgiving day sale kind of thing. And I bought three of them. So it was a hundred, $300 I spent. I got three cameras and I can tell you that like they work flawlessly of what I need to do. And I think that's the other thing that you, you've got to realize. It's like, you can get like with a, like a regular camera, you can get ones with high megapixels. You can get some with, you know, 1080p video that can send back to you. So I think that's where you're getting your upcharge. That's where you're getting a lot of the things that the bells and whistles that you're paying the extra hundreds of dollars for. But what do, what do you need to know? I just need to know that there's a deer out there and I can see what kind of activity is going on. I can see their rack size. I know it's a big body deer. I know they got a decent size rack. I don't need to look at every little hair on their body to figure out if it's going to be a shooter or not. Sure. sure. And I think each hunter is different too. So sure. what are your needs as a hunter? Do you have five acres behind your house that you need to put one camera on? Sure. Buy the $300 one. You got one camera going out. Right. Are you the Tom and you know Kelly that put 30, 40 cameras out? Are you going to take a mortgage out to buy them? You know, I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah. So again, I think just be practical. What do you need? How many do you need? Do your research. Uh, Spy Point gets a bad rap. Um, in our opinion, we have a ton of them. We've never had one not work, but it is a pain when you first get them. You have to download the latest version of their firmware onto your SD card. Like and, tonight, you weren't getting your photos until you updated your firmware. Yep. And so that's a one-time thing, and uh, but you do have to download that to your, it's an extra step and it's inconvenience, but download it to your SD card, put them in your camera, make sure they all sync, and then you're good to go, but that's an extra step. So if that's not worth it to you, you may want to go a different route, but we've had pretty good luck with them so far. Yeah, so far so good. Does, uh, does your guys' um, cell links give you the health or the battery life of the camera while you're out there too. So that's yep. another thing. <clears throat> Anybody listening to this is like on the app, I know how full my SD card is. And I also know how my battery life is doing. So I'll get alerts on my phone, like every time it goes down to 10%. So if it's like, all right, you have 90% battery left. And you know, and a couple of weeks ago, I got it saying I have 5% left. Mm -hmm. So for me, it tells me that obviously I need to go you know, take out another mortgage to pay for all the batteries and get out there and start filling them back up again. But it gives you real time of how your camera's doing and you know that it's working, yep. which is yeah. always a great thing to say. Is it working? Is it not working? Is it on? It's and really signal. Cool I don't know if you get yours gets signal, but ours gets signal. So it, it's, yep. a, it's basically a cell phone, right? So right. it has to have signal. It's got to have signal. And we have some slight troubles with that down Ohio. So if I put it down in a 40 foot ravine, I can check if I have signal or not. And sometimes they struggle when they're down there. Sure. So it's just like your phone in your pocket. Yep. Uh, so make sure that you have signal is kind of another extra step yeah. when it comes to cell links that you don't have with traditional sure. cameras. If you've got property up in the UP and you're in the middle of nowhere, don't go invest in a bunch of cell cameras if you don't know that you're going to have a signal up there. Well, basically, if your cell phone works, they'll work. Right. It's the same concept. So sure. they have Verizon. Uh, we use Verizon spy points. We yep. have Verizon cell phones, obviously. So if your phone gets signal, you're probably in good shape. Mm -hmm. But if your phone doesn't, you may want to be cautious before investing in them because they got to have signal. Right. And then the other thing, too, is like I know what you're talking about in Ohio if you're hunting up higher and your cell phone works up there and it doesn't work down in the ravine, like, yeah, you want to know what's going on down in that ravine, but maybe your only option is to be up the hill more. Yep. So it's like, 
sure. put it up there just to at least see what's moving around. And then when you get out there, you can make another educated decision if you want to go down and hunt in the swamp or the ravine or something. I find like that, that even when they don't have service at the bottom of the ravine, every once in a while they'll pick it up and then you'll get four or five pictures in one shot. They might not be real time. It might be from yesterday. It might be from an hour ago. But every once in a while, they'll pick up a signal and it'll drop all your pictures in one shot. So even if it's really weak. And something else we should probably mention for viewers, if you've never used a, a cell camera before, is make sure that you set your notifications on your phone. So you don't want to go home and be sleeping with the honey, right? And uh, your phone go off all night. So just know that you can change those settings yep. and uh, you can set them for once a day. You can dump them at anytime you desire right. you can set it multiple times a day and that's just through your notifications on your phone or, or through the app specifically depending on which camera you have but uh yeah so if anyone's having trouble with that you just watch it on youtube you'll figure out how to change the notifications what are your guys's opinions on the the ethics or the utilization of them during hunting season so like pope and young like if you have technically you can't use if somehow they can prove that you've used a cell cam or a camera in any way and then harvested or use that to your advantage to shoot that deer that day i think you're excluded from like really? yeah pope and young or the boone and crockett or whatever it is i think they have similar rules of like so it's like a big debate right now in the hunting community because as technology evolves, we're all going to probably eventually take advantage of it. But it's like, you know, we all want to be more successful hunters and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I was just kind of getting your guys' opinion on it. I think that it's ridiculous. I think that we've all come so far in the hunting industry. So where do you draw the line? Like, I can't use this new expensive gear. I can't use saddles or tree stands. I can't use a bow that shoots 320 PSI. Like, so now all of a sudden with cell cameras, it's a problem. Like right. the optics don't matter. The tree stands, the sure. ozonics that, you know, that takes all of our scent away. I think it's ridiculous. I think if you can shoot a six, seven, eight year old deer and I don't care how you do, as long as it's through legal hunting methods during legal shooting hours, right. you get two thumbs up from me. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's your own, whatever makes you happy. I, I, it's your own perspective on things. I know? understand their point. But that just I, seems, I understand the point. I mean, but like you said, where do you draw the line on anything? Where do you draw the line in life? Not just hunting. Like where, where's that fine line? You know, Oh, well you can't use a compound bow. You should use a recurve. Right. And, and so what? I got a picture that there's a one, 180 back in the woods and I'm able to pack up, grab my bow, get out there and shoot it. And without that deer leaving, like, I mean, yeah, it does help you that there's, you know, that there's a deer in the woods, but it's not like they're glued to the ground. Like you still have to get to the tree stand. You still have to make the shot. You still have a lot of work and effort to get that job done. My yeah. opinion too is like, if there's a 180 class deer back there, there's a reason why he's that big. He's pretty damn sure. smart. And yep. If you think that a cell camera is going to allow you to put your gear on, like you said, or get down from your tree and run to the other side of the woods without him smelling or searing, seeing or hearing you, I think your chances, you're underestimating why he's 180 class. Right. He's pretty damn smart. Well, I'm Look glad you're on board. I yeah. thought we were going to have a debate. No, there. no, I'm on board. <laughs> I'm on board. Look at how many big deer get in within 20 yards and sure. people still can't close the deal. Like no, that, right. that camera's not changing nothing, you know? It's just going to happen the way it's going to happen. It's your perspective. If you enjoy it, then do it. If it's legal, then do it. I love the cameras because it's like, I know he's there. 
You know what I mean? And that's yeah. the benefit of the camera. It's you like, know when an alarm goes off at like four in the morning and you're like, dude, I could stay in bed. It's really warm. We stayed up late last night. And you're like, oh, there's a 180 out back. I need to get up. My watch is hooked to my phone. So I get the updates <laughs> on my phone. They're like, oh, a photo's been taken behind your house at the, or whatever. I have it labeled or something like that. So I'm like, God damn it. Where's my phone? I got to run over to it. Hurry up and check out the photo. It's awesome. It's like yeah. a little game or like it's almost like Christmas, man. You're like, what is underneath the tree? It's your passion, you know? Yeah. I mean, who, who wouldn't want updates on their oh passion? Oh, my God. It's so much fun. It's addicting. And when you have limited time, if you are fortunate enough to have multiple properties, you know which one to hunt. Like right. spend your time in the most productive location and the most productive property. And it, it, we'd be lying if we said it didn't change the way that we hunt or it yeah, hasn't absolutely. changed our success. Absolutely. It, it has. It's an advantage. And But again, why not use the tools that we have available to right. us? Like anything else, you get what you put into it. We're fortunate enough to have multiple properties to hunt. I mean, it's influenced us enough to where we've we've left states and went to other states because we're like, we have to go hunt here. Right. And it's state property. Anybody can do it. We're, right. we're not no better than anybody else, but we just put that much time into it where we had cameras in three different states. And we're like, it's not happening here. We're, we're driving somewhere else. We did it in Indiana last year. We stepped foot on a brand new property. It was a, might even been a national forest. But anyways, huge chunk. And we're like, we're overwhelmed. Just like anybody, where do you start? You know, so we, as we seen some deer and scouting, and we literally run out there and just put a cell link out just for the night and put as many as we can out while we kept driving and moving. And it just helps you cover cover ground and see what's out there. I think it's a good teaching tool to, to teach someone who's trying to get into hunting because it's like, you know, I remember as a kid, like going out and not seeing anything, like being super bummed, like when you see a deer, it just makes it so much better. So let's say your buddy's trying to get into it or your kids or something like that. You can show them like, yeah, look at there are deer back here. Here's what's mm-hmm. back here. Here's the time you get there and you can start to educate them. Like you were saying, here's the wind direction. Here's the weather front that came in. I remember one deer that we had up on our property up North um, that would come out and I'm like, well, where is he spending his time? He's a bigger deer. The camera showed me that the bottom of his feet were all in mud. Nice. So that's telling me that he's going back and he's bedding in the swamp. Yeah. Super smart. Right. So like you can look at photos like that and analyze why the deer are doing what they're doing. Look at that photo, look that deer over. Um, you know, you see deer that have been hit by cars. They have an arrow sticking out of them. Maybe they're wounded. I mean, the things that the cameras can show you are endless and just educate you as a hunter, um, just more and more. And I think it's gonna, I think the cameras are helping hunter retainment because it's keeping people interested. So let's say the year before they didn't see shit and now they got a camera out there. It kind of inspires them to get back out there. Like, all right, I'm going to give it another try. Here's where I was screwing up. You know, I walked by my camera at this time, but he was walking by my camera from the other way. And I'm maybe I'm going into my tree stand the wrong way. So you can learn a lot from these cameras to keep younger hunters or newer hunters engaged. And you can kind of help them learn from their mistakes. Yeah. I, I think it's a, a good thing. I wonder thing if... I'm going to grab another beer. Keep talking. Sure. I wonder if uh, deer are getting bigger because of trail cameras. Like we manage more, we trophy hunt point. more. Um, you get better pictures and you're like, oh, I'm let that one grow. I want to pass that 120 up because there's a 140 out there. And then that deer ends up making it. And the next year it's a 140. And I just wonder if uh, overall, I mean, if that's what you want, everybody can shoot anything they want. Obviously, that's that's your prerogative. That's a good point. So getting back to the Boone and Crockett and all that kind of, you know, stuff in the, in, you know, quality deer management and QDM and everything like that. I think you're exactly right. So now people, you know, okay, so I'll give you an example. Anybody that listens to this podcast, and you guys know about this, that live in North, or hunt in Northern Michigan, 
when it comes to opening day, what does everyone say? I'm going to shoot the first thing that Brown walks by. Brown and stout. Right, because yeah. if I don't, the guy next to me is just going to go shoot that four point. So why am I, why am I stressing about <laughs> having QDM on my property or, you know, saving the herd and you know letting mature deer be mature deer well these cameras can help with all that you can say there are bigger deer out here i don't have to shoot the first thing yeah. that i see and i can be Absolutely. more choosing i think everybody could get on board with that and so you're right i I've, think it does create bigger deer i've personally done it myself I, I, kelly's done it i i passed up deer because i'm like man i i know there's bigger deer here i have pictures of them like and then i don't kill that deer and that deer lives like I think it's helping the sport. It's helping everything. And as part of that camaraderie, we have a group text that every day we each have, you know, all these handful of these cell links and we send each other the pictures. Oh, where was that one at? So we learn together. We, sh- we share the, the growth and the deer and, and the whole aspect of just kind of joining that whole process together. It really is a year round uh, tradition for us. My brother, Psycho Ass, made a big poster board of all the deer that he had on his property that and, named, like something I would do, and yeah. named each one. And <laughs> oh, then yeah. so when you went up there, he's like, oh, no, that's uh, whatever the name was he would have. He's like, oh, no, that's a uh, big spike or that's uh, whatever it is. But when I went out to hunt his property, his shooter buck, which was I think that ended up being like a 14 point um jumped out in front of me but i knew that deer because i looked at him all the time on the poster board and chad would send me photos of like oh you, tom would have shot it for sure if you see him if you see him i had him at 43 yards he's your was, brother you can't disown you. yeah that's blood <laughs> and it was his first year on the property and he's 43 yards on does right next to me and i i held off and he ended up shooting it which i'm super happy about but it was just it's it's like what you're getting to if you name deer and you see him jump out, you're like, oh, that's pretty damn cool. I've been watching you all yeah. year round, and here you are in person. I think we're all old enough to remember really before truck cameras were super popular. Like, how often did you name a deer or mm-hmm. even see a big buck more than once? Like, it didn't even happen. Never. Nope. I never heard the name in deer until. Until drug cameras. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And some deer that are of good age that have minimalistic racks or bad genetics as far as bone goes. You know, we decide to shoot those deer, but only because of the evaluation process of cameras. So, like, oh, you remember that one? He kind of got that spike on the left. Is he hurt? Well, then the next year you see him again. No, dude, he's just bad. Like, we got yeah. to take him out. Yeah. So then when we see that deer, we know that's a deer that we right. want to shoot. And vice versa. When we see deer. Wow, that's a beautiful deer, you know. Like, wow, look at his shoulders. Look at his chest. Look at his belly. Like, man, that deer's super young. We have to pass that deer. And and so we, we love it. We love the whole yeah. process. I don't think we're like trophy hunters by any means, but I think the ultimate, in my book, the ultimate trophy is to, to kill old deer. Like, right. It can be a spike. <laughs> I don't care. But if it's a 10-year-old buck, like, that's that's the big deal, you know. And we have a couple deer that we got pictures of for the last four or five years and like, yeah they don't have big racks they're not giants but they're getting man, ready they're to start soup. declining they're yeah they're big and old but they're so smart so they just cool kick right? butts every, every year. year same thing with if you if you got your own property and you you want to know how to man, manage your does i mean trail cameras does you can get more on photo you can see them up close for some reason they just there's just more of them walking by all the time so you're like what doe do I shoot? Well, you see that she's got a huge snout on her. She's longer. She's got a saggy belly. She's heavy on the hoof. You know, like, okay, I know that she's on my property three days a week, four days a week. So I'm going to see her in hunting season. You know, maybe you can take that older doe off your property and you, you're, you're like, all right, I'm making a good choice here. I'm not shooting a younger doe. She's, excuse me, four or five years old. She's had plenty of, you know, 
young, I, I can take that one off of there because I have a lot of them on my property. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. And it's the other thing too, is like, I want to always, another main goal of mine is early as I can is get meat in the freezer. Cause I feel like it takes that pressure off of me for the rest of the season, Absolutely. knowing that a, my wife's going to be happy because I'm telling her that, all right, don't worry. I got enough burger for the year or whatever it is. And then you can kind of like, then go after your buck or whatever it is. But, um, dough management, it, those cameras are going to tell you a lot and you'll, you can, you don't think you'd be able to recognize the same dough over and over, but if you get them on trail camera, enough times throughout the summer you see which young ones are with them like maybe i hold off she's got twins with her you'll be you'll make a better educated decision on your your doe calling if that makes sense sure and we use our cell links as cue indicators the the big indicators of when the rest starting to kick off Mm -hmm. so you'll notice that bucks will start come you know, all of a sudden you start getting blurry pictures. So deer running, oh, all right, someone's oh, chasing yeah. it. Oh, and then there's a second one. Then there's a third one for the same day. And then you'll get a deer to stop that's panning in the camera. So you'll see their mouth open like, okay, that deer's actively searching now. And they're like, guys, we're in the next phase. We need to get yeah. out there. Or so, just daylight pictures in general. Yep. You that's get true too, all yeah. All nighttime day- pictures and then day walkers yeah they flip a switch and then it's just like one in the afternoon and i got you know 140 walk by a camera like it's on like you need to get down there but one more last tip from the i mean there's so many great things about camera let's say you shoot a deer and you're wondering what way it went or if you're trying if you're having a rough blood trail or something like that if you've got a lot of cameras set throughout your property too after you shoot a deer don't forget to look at your phone or Mm -hmm. go check out your deer camera your and your sd card if you think it there's a chance that it walked by your your camera because you can see that you know did i get a pass through is it bleeding good or something like that i know some guys have said that like hey i just went and checked my or i got indication i know i hit him good because when he went by my camera Mm -hmm. you know it was squirting out both sides or he had a lot of blood running down you can kind of see sometimes where you shot and hit him too so we use cameras a lot to see what direction that buck's coming from Yep. To help pattern it. Okay. You know, if I, if he's coming in the right side of my camera, every time I get a picture of him, I kind of know where he's coming from. That's good. And then you get on Onyx or you, you jump cameras a hundred yards further down the trail and it just helps to pattern them. You know, if you can find where they're bedding, where they're eating, where they're, you know, you you can. We do that all the time. You'll get like, Hey, it always comes from the left in the morning. And then it always comes from the right in the evening. So then we're like, okay, we need to go. He's going, if he's going to the right in the morning, he's probably going to bed. Right. And if he's coming the other way at night, he's probably going to feed. feed. So if we can start bumping them cameras left or right to try to figure out where he's going and when he's going to be there, again, it's just part of that, figuring out where he's going. I just thought of that because you talked about after shooting a deer and it's a good indication. Usually when you shoot a buck, like one, they run towards water or two, they, they want to go towards home. They they go to where they're generally at. We where have they feel a good, safe, yeah. Yeah, so we have a good idea, like, if, at least within a good 50 acres or whatever, where that deer generally stays or where he's coming from. And also how to approach the stand. So if the deer comes from the left, say in the morning, and you're going to hunt a morning hunt, you don't want to come from the left because that's where he's coming from. So if I can access that stand from the right and the, hopefully that wind is going to the right. right. So now he's not crossed my footpath. And he's not crossed my wind. Yeah, that's a good point. Now I'm, I'm win-win all the way around. So you can get to your stand without laying down your scent on the path that he's going to be going on. We, huge. the last couple of years, I don't think I personally have shot the last four or five years in a row I've shot bucks. I have not shot a buck that has crossed my footpath or my wind. 
And to me, I use landscape to help do that. So I'll walk in on a ravine where I know he will not walk and my wind's coming where he will not come from. So there's zero way he can beat me. That's that whole, we talked about the lone wolf setup, but we're, I think we're all running lone wolves. Yep. Uh, it's like that first hunt's the best hunt. Always. You know, it always is. And we're pretty much all hanging hunt. And um, it just seems like you consider that your first hunt because it's a hanging hunt. And that's when we kill a deer. If you hunt a stand more than once or twice, it's like, it feels like your odds just go down further every time. Yeah. Another question. You guys have put up a lot of cell cameras in your, your public ground or your spot that you go and hunt. Do you guys ever make an additional move after the initial setup? Meaning like, oh yeah. all right, so you did, you just went this week and put them down. It's almost, it's the second to last week in June. Do you guys go down there again and move them again? Or do you guys leave them in that spot? They'll probably stay up depending on how uh, the pictures are going. Okay. What we start getting on our phones. If, you know, they're inactive and someone's down there, yeah, we might jump some cameras. But I think that really comes into play when we go down there in October, November during deer season. When do you guys stay out? Meaning like, all right, it's getting close to deer season. There's no way in hell I'm going back there anymore. It's got to be set. Like, do you guys have a is hard it Carson time? Or is it me? Yeah. And Tom? Yeah. <laughs> Carson's a little nutty. It depends. So. Yeah. <laughs> me personally, I don't want to be in there in the months of September. Okay. A month out period. A month out, I'm you not leave it. Step in there. Okay. I don't want to go back now. I, like, yeah. I'm done. Yeah, we're done. Uh, the only thing that we didn't get a chance to do, and these guys just went down, is any other trimming or just check straps. So typically, we would have done that this trip. Oh, them yeah, guys yeah. only had six hours. Right. So. Um, that's something that I personally like just to make sure just one time before before September comes, just that we climb in each stand, we make sure all the straps are good, replace anything, and then make sure we don't need to do any trimming. But as far as once September hits, I don't touch it. Yeah, don't and the only there. reason I'll move a camera is A, either it's not being productive, or B, we'll start moving them sometimes in October, depending on when we start seeing new big fresh scrapes arrive. So when we can get inventory on bucks that maybe we're not getting just to just to pop them over to a scraper just rub. to clarify we do have some stands up you know down in ohio we, we pretty much run lone wolves but there's uh five or six stands that are just in you know phenomenal sure. spots that we stay out of uh i shot a buck last year out of uh, one of those stands it never got hunted in for we put it up in i think june and no one touched it i went in there on november 2nd and shot a buck I bet we could go through the stats. I bet 75%, if not higher, of all the bucks we've shot the last five years in our group have been shot and harvested the first time of the year we've hunted that stand. So the cameras tell us that. Right. right. So we know that we don't need to go in here until this date or this time on this wind because this is where they're coming from. And not trying to brag or boast about it, but it just seems like that first hunt is when we do our best. For sure. Yeah, I think that's the other thing that cameras can tell you is, you know, put up more stands in a set of woods and knowing how to hunt those things because it's like, you know, if you have a stand where you see a lot of bedding activity and it's going on, it's like, I don't want to go in there until the wind is absolutely perfect. Yep. Mm-hmm. The cameras tell me that because this is where they're bedding at night. Like you said, the direction that they're heading. Um, I won't hunt it. I Well, it makes sense to me now, even back here behind the house, it's like, there's a spot there. I just, I know I won't go to that stand until the conditions are perfect because, you know, I think it convenience, right? That's the thing that you can get, you can get too, com, you know, compliant where it's like, it's just behind my house. So I'm just going to walk back there and hunt as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Well, I stopped seeing a lot of the deer that I've thought I would see throughout the year. It's just because I was hunting it way too much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I should have paid attention to the camera more. Like I, 
I should not go in there until I know for a fact that that deer is in there, the wind is perfect or whatever it is, and then access it. And that's think I think a lot of the times that's what the cameras can tell you is like, if you still got consistent activity, um, on that point where you had hypothesized the deer would be plan it out, take your time. The camera's going to tell you if he's still there and really make your, your move very tactical and punctual because it could be your only shot. Like you said, mm -hmm, the first sure. sit would be the best. And maybe after that, you won't get another shot at it. So I think that was my biggest mistake when I was younger is just over hunting yeah. stands or woods or, you know, just over pressure. Right. Just hunt the good and, days. And we keep folders on our phones and our laptops when we're checking things or inventory, different deer or whatnot is what did they do last year? If you're fortunate enough to be able to get pictures sure. of the same deer you're near, like Tom already said on this podcast, is we we get those deer consistently within a day or two in the same same month, the same right, day. Like it's unbelievable. So we're pre planning for that. Like remember, he did yeah. this last year. We're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna beat him this year. Right. He's after a buck that consistently the last three years has shown up on the same camera only get like four or five pictures all year but it's on the same camera within three or four days yep, every, every year first week in november and he, he walks by that camera consistently and and then he don't show up and then he don't until show like up january until january and i found one of his sheds but and he's a freak he's, he's, he's a, a mega giant but we'll, hopefully we'll be talking about him <laughs> we'll be talking about him yeah. in november yeah. or december yeah. um all right one more thing before we go uh tom you had mentioned earlier just some of the complications with the cameras um fog uh yeah um like these these humid mornings like if you wake up in the morning and you see like dew or like fog on your windows in your house there's probably a pretty good chance your camera could have that on back there because it's a little tiny piece of glass it's just the area for it to condensate what are some things that guys have mentioned that worked in the past to, to kind of keep it clean i read some threads about it watched a couple of youtube videos uh they talked about rain x okay know, using a window of your truck um another guy said shaving cream works well i guess you put shaving cream on it let it dry and then you, you buff it off with a rag and it's kind of like a wax okay um i personally have not done it but we just talked about it because i got pictures today sure. and um the humidity is all over my lens and my pictures all blurry and, right uh, the camera's good i checked it it was just uh condensation right and most of the time you just get those in the morning kind yeah. of like when the, when that sun starts to come up it gets super scorching out there and hot but it dries off usually throughout the day or at night you're still getting good photos but just something to be aware about um if there's anything that you guys can do to to prevent that just don't forget to maybe look at the lens and make sure it's clean and yeah. put some preventative things on like that but all right guys well i think we uh we dropped a lot of good knowledge there but um yeah folks uh as always uh, thanks for listening yep thanks a lot Appreciate and i it. think um just a couple recaps on some stuff that i said uh, don't hang your cameras too high Okay. Make sure your brush is cleared out and don't put the camera too close to your deer run. I don't know if I said that one, but make sure you you're, didn't say that. Make sure you're, you know, 10 yards off. You don't want to be four feet from it gotcha. because then it's going to be so blown up. So make sure you put it away a little bit yeah. and use head trimmers and head use good batteries good. and use good class 10 SD cards. Don't let uh, a camera discourage you either. Uh, last year, Kelly, uh, made me go out hunting I, I didn't want to go to a stand it was november or the rut was on and i want to go to a stand i'm like i didn't get any good pictures and kelly's like man that deer could be walking 15 yards to the left of that camera he's like you gotta go now's the time and uh i almost let that camera discourage me from going to that stand or going out hunting so i mean i wouldn't say i would say don't get too deep into the camera thing like if it's, if it's time to go hunting and you want to go hunting just go yep 
Yeah. And one last thing we haven't discussed, I think it's important to talk about. We have had very poor experience putting our cameras on video mode. It's an extremely large file and it's a large file to send. And if we've ever had problem, it's because of video mode. And if you do decide that you want to do video mode, you must have a class 10 SD card. Class four SD cards don't have the processing speed to read and write the video file onto the SD card very well. So if you decide you wanna go video, make sure you have good, the best SD cards you can with high write speeds. Uh, But my personal opinion would be, don't use video. What do you think of the point of the video is? Do you think that's just like a bell and whistle? Like it's cool. It's like yeah, yeah okay. Oh, I think it has advantages. Way. I think that if a doe walks by and your camera gets a picture and you're on a minute delay and the buck is right behind the doe, you never get the buck. Oh, okay. So video mode yeah. does a lot of behavior of how them deer are acting instead of just what the deer are as opposed to a picture. Just be aware that it eat up your memory pretty quick though. Eat yeah. up memory time. They do not send well. We run zero videos. We okay. only run pictures. And they're not that fun to review when there's like yeah. a thousand of them like yeah, you might as well set aside 10 hours you know you, you got two thousand you know because you have to watch all of it if yeah. it's yeah. pictures you just scroll through and you just look at yeah. the like thumbnails Ryan. yeah absolutely watching a raccoon if we didn't cover some questions you guys have please uh send us a message yeah send us, us a message if you want to know settings all that kind of stuff i mean these cameras can do pretty much anything you want them to do like you were just talking we didn't really get into like the delays of the two seconds the five seconds whatever you want to do that's personal preference um i think you'll see like if you do two seconds you're gonna get a lot of photos mm-hmm. um, and be- there's a much higher chance your camera is going to get confused it's right. just a mini computer yeah. i strongly encourage you not to do less than five seconds five or less we run usually run 15 to 30 seconds plus. i've got mine set at 20 so. just to give it time for yeah. that camera to save that image or video before it gets ready to take the next one it, right. they can get confused yeah yeah. Yeah. I guess my, my tip is just play with your camera too. Absolutely. really know it before you go out there. Don't go out there and then like, Oh, I didn't read the instructions or I'm just, I thought I was just supposed to turn it on. Like go through the settings, look at the app on your phone. The app on your phone is going to tell you a lot of things. A lot of times they'll have the, like the manual or how to's in the app. So mm-hmm. if you get out there, you can just pull up your phone and it'll tell you how to do whatever you're yeah. looking to do. Um, and a lot of the times you can change the settings on your phone as well. If you want to change like the timer, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you can Set it up in stuff. your kitchen for a night. Yeah. Every time you walk by, it'll get a picture. You'll learn your notifications. Right. You'll learn your times. You'll learn everything you need to know within a day. Just use it. Mm-hmm. We're big proponents on using stuff before you take it out in the field. Uh, we yeah. got the cell links. We set them up at the fire department. Yeah. I had pictures of every fireman walking to the trucks and everything. And sure. We, I just timed it. Like, how long does it take this before it sends to my phone, you know? And it was less than a minute, 45 seconds or something. Like, Were they crazy. flicking you off when they went by? <laughs> oh, yeah. There was <laughs> half of them were oblivious to <laughs> yeah. the world. They're like, they, yeah. didn't, they wouldn't even know they what didn't a trail camera is. I told them, if you were a big buck, I'd have got you already. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea I was here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just use them as a tool, you know, another thing to to use out in the woods and hopefully it helps with your success but like kp said like email us ask us questions what they what we've done um if you want i will try to leave links in the show notes to our cameras that we use um just like a sportsman's warehouse or something like that we don't make any money off this or affiliate money so what we're using is just you know it's unbiased basically and we don't make any money. So it's not like we're pointing you to go in a direction that you, but we're just giving you advice, what works for us and it's affordable. So, um, yeah, with that, that's, uh, that's all I got. So good luck guys. And, uh, send us some pictures. You got some big ones growing. We'd love to see them. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if we could do something like that. Yeah. 
with GPS <laughs> coordinates. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you have a picture of the cr- yeah the yeah. crossroads. If anybody the- wants to take a kid hunting, we got Tom here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only five seven. <laughs> it's fine. Perfect. All right, guys. Thanks for listening.